So this morning we, uh, we begin this new theme called Illuminate. We know in the season, and I was just watching this light from my seat on the front row, and I, was, I forgot this morning that the air conditioning might blow it out, right? And it's a reminder that light is always in peril. It's not far from being snuffed out, and it's easy to lose hope in the midst of a dark world that the light may not continue, but the, the hope for us is that Jesus brings the light into the world, and he says to us, you are the light of the world. There are lots of metaphors that Scripture uses about God. God is a king. God is a shepherd. God is like a mother hen that protects uh, her young. God is like uh, a fa- God's a father. God is love. And, and one of those images that I want to pick up over the next several weeks is about God who is light. First John 1 John 1.5 puts it this way. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light in him. There is no darkness. So we want to talk about that this morning. And I I just did a simple concordance study of scripture about light. And it was amazed by what I found. In fact, that is a helpful study tool for you all. It's easy to go to just BibleGateway.com. Just type in one word and just see all the resonance that goes all the way across scripture. It's amazing sometimes to see just a simple search like that. What's brought out, and that was how it was for me. And so today, I want to take you through kind of the span of Scripture in as tight a window as we can do it this morning with all that we've done already. I want to take us from Genesis to, to Revelation, talking about God bringing light in the world. What I noticed as I was in the study was that God, when He shows up on the scene, light is not far behind. Light is always present because God is light, and Him there is no, no darkness. And so today we're going to talk about that. Next week we'll come back and talk about what it means to be the light of the world ourselves, that calling that we have. And then the last two weeks we'll talk about the prophecy of Jesus who is the light of the world and then celebrate his birth on the 24th when we share that together. Let's pray as we open God's word this morning. God, our our cry is the cry we've just sung. It is that you would bring light into the world. You've done it before in creation, and you do it often throughout the scriptures. And we know in our own lives, we've experienced in the midst of darkness, your light calling out to us and calling us back to faithfulness, back to your light. And and then you want us to reflect that light to others. So God, we pray we can be what we need to be and that you would provide what only you can provide. And this morning, I pray you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Open up with me to the beginning of the story to Genesis chapter one. I want to remind you how this whole thing got started. It started with darkness, didn't it? But God does something in the first few verses to move things toward light. And so I want to start in Genesis one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now it's important to get from this, these two verses before we move to light, that the starting place of creation is a place of darkness. That's the way the world was before God spoke or did anything. Darkness is the starting point. It's the starting place. Darkness is the natural state of the world without God bringing his light to the world. Darkness is our homeostasis. It's where we return back to. If it's not for light that continues to pour into our lives from God, if it's not for God's action and our reflection of his light, the world would be dark. And what we see in the story of Israel is over and over again, they go back into darkness and God has to pull them out through light that he shines in the dark world. But verse three, there's hope. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. You see, when God speaks, the light is dissipated. It can't stand in the midst of God's light. And I want us to think about just the image of darkness and light because it shows up all through scripture. 
which is more powerful? Is it darkness that's more powerful or is it light that's more powerful? And what we know is it's, it's light that's more powerful. It doesn't matter how much darkness is present in a place or in a space or in a room. All it takes is one light doing its job and it can illuminate a room. And you take two or three or four lights and all of a sudden the power is there. It's not like 51% is dark and the room's dark. That's not how it works. Light is actually more powerful than darkness. And the only way that darkness wins is if light refuses to do the act that it was created to do. And that's to illuminate the dark world. So when the world is dark, it's not the darkness that we ought to be cursing. We ought to be looking at ourselves, the light of the world, and asking, why are we not shining? Uh, last year, uh, our family got to go with some friends on a trip to Branson, Missouri, a city filled with lights. But there was part of that trip that we went into a, a cave. We went into a cavern. And uh, some of you may have been on trips to Carlsbad before and had that experience, or you've been somewhere where it was just pitch dark. And, and I, my kids were a little fearful, I think, of this because they didn't know what was underground. They'd heard stories and seen cartoons about you know, monsters and that kind of thing. But I think it was also the darkness they were fearful of. And so we went into that. And if you've ever been on one of those tours and gone into a cavern like that, you know there's a moment on the tour where the tour guide says, okay, uh, this is a lighted space, but we need everyone to keep your lights off, uh, turn your cell phones off, whatever's needed to make sure that you don't light up. Because I want you to see what it's like in the darkness that's here. And we had promised our kids, yeah, just trust us on this trip. This ought to go fine. But I, I saw them start to kind of tense up a little bit when that moment came. And I, if you've ever been in that moment, you know you can't even see your hand in front of your face. It's an incredible feeling of, of darkness. It's, it's a fearful moment if you don't know what's around you. And, uh, and I think back to that moment when I think about light, when I think about darkness, because what it took for that place to be dark was them turning the lights off in that cavern that they had produced. But it also took a conspiracy from every single one of us with a phone in our pocket not to do an act that would light up that space. All of us had to be a part of a conspiracy in order for darkness to be in the space as it was. And I think about our world and I think about the need for light. The only way the light does not shine in the darkness is when we as believers don't do our job and we're not the people who reflect the glory of God. It's going to be a dark place. Darkness only wins if the light agrees not to shine. And that's an agreement that God refuses to allow. And we ought to refuse that as well. The Bible is an account of God entering into the world with light over and over again. I want to take you through several scriptures this morning to talk about God's intrusion into the world with light. The first of those after Genesis 1 comes from Genesis 15. It's a great story about a a light that you may or may not recall. Uh, It's not as well a known story perhaps as some others. But in Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abram. And in that covenant, he says, uh, your your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And that metaphor, I don't think, is an accident, right? This idea of darkness and the stars that are lights in the sky. But they're going to be as numerous. And and, and Abram believes and he's credited to him as righteousness. Well, in Genesis 15, there's this scene where there's a light that enters into the picture. I want to read this story with you. It's Genesis 15, beginning in verse 9. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, 
will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and of course, we can't forget the Jebusites. Now, this scene is a bit foreign to our ears, right? Maybe you remember this, maybe you don't. But it goes back to a history in that time that you'll want to know as we speak about the story. Because in those days, when you made a contract or a commitment with someone, you wouldn't sign your signature on a page. That wouldn't mean anything. There's no court of law. There's no justice that's going to be maintained. It's an agreement that's got to be made between parties that are going to commit to keeping that. And so they wouldn't make a contract. They would make what they called a covenant. And they, when they made that covenant, it wasn't actually making a covenant. The language there is they cut a covenant. And it's the same image that's here. It's kind of a bloody picture, right? They, they would split these animals in half, and then they would separate them on opposite sides of a path that they were walking through. This is the way they made a covenant. Kind of strange to our ears, kind of barbaric, right? But what they were saying is the two parties would get on, in the midst of that path, they would see the animals with blood dripping down, and they would walk through the pieces of that animal. And what they were saying when they were walking through those pieces is, May it happen to me as it happened to these animals if I do not keep all the words of this covenant. And I've been trying to get in weddings for young couples to commit to doing this as an act, but I haven't got any takers yet. But I I think of the seriousness of covenant with that, right? And I love this scene because what the story tells is a story where Abram and God are making a covenant with one another, right? And Abram falls into a sleep and in the midst of his sleep, it's as if God tricks him in this covenant, right? Because Abram's sleeping. And both parties ought to be passing through the halves of this animal. But instead, what do we find? A blazing fire pot and a torch. A smoking fire pot, a blazing torch. What it's signifying is that God is the one who is walking through the halves of these animals, making the covenant, and he never forces Abram to keep his end. He never forces Abram to step through, as in the ancient Near East you would have had to do in a contract like this, in a covenant. I find that to be amazing. And that is the story of God, isn't it? The God who, who, who provides steadfast love to us. Even when we're unfaithful, he responds in mercy and in grace. This is the story of God's light entering into the world. But things get dark again. They go into Egypt. And you remember what happens a little bit later in the story. They get freed. You remember how God guides them when they're going into the wilderness. It's light once again. This is Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 21. Listen to how God leads them. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to guide them, to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud nor the, uh, by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. How does God guide his people through the wilderness? He shows up through light over and over again. The story again in, in Elijah's day, later on, King Jezebel and Ahab, they're worshiping foreign gods and and finally, Elijah calls them to account and says, you got to choose. you got to choose this God or you got to choose Baal and Asherah, Yahweh, or the gods of the nations. And, and he calls down a challenge. You remember this scene, right? There's two altars and they put an animal on the altar. And, and the, the one who shows up and sets the, the God who sets the uh, sacrifice on fire, that's the true God. And sure enough, how does Elijah know to call on God and the fire there? Well, God's shown up through light before and he shows up again in this scene. On this mountain, again, fire setting, 
the path and reminding the people of God that God shows up even in darkness. The same scene unfolds later while they're in exile. There's a promise about a Messiah that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. The promise of light coming into the darkness. That's the promise of a Messiah on its way. And the Magi show up right after the birth, a couple of years afterwards, it seems in the story. And, and you remember how they find their way to the manger or to, to wherever it is that Mary and Joseph are living at this time. They show up because the stars in the sky, it's as if it's a throwback to the Genesis story about your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. One of those descendants would be shown to others, even the Gentiles, through a star, through a light that comes into the world. Over and over again in the book of Acts, light shows up on the scene. I was amazed by these things. I didn't remember all these stories, but in Acts 2 at Pentecost, you know, the Holy Spirit shows up on the scene. And how does the Holy Spirit manifest himself? He shows up in tongues of fire that rests on the heads of people who are present there. It's as if every time God shows up, you can expect light to show up with him. Later on in the story of Acts, or actually in the story of of Saul, who comes to be Paul, you remember that scene, don't you? The transformation comes, and how does it come? It comes through a bright light experience. Listen to these words from, from Acts chapter 26 as he relates that story to King Agrippa. Let's just listen to this theme again of light and darkness as I read this. Acts 26, beginning in verse 13. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand up on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint, uh, to, to you, to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That's why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Again, shows up and... Saul's blinded by light and transformed in that moment. He was sent to open the eyes of those who were in darkness to see a great light. And Jesus came for the same reason the last verse there tells us, to bring light to the Gentiles. One of the great stories in the book of Acts comes uh, earlier in, in Acts. It's in Acts chapter 12 that Peter's in prison and a light shows up there. But I want you to turn with me to Acts 16, if you would briefly for a story that is key, I think, in understanding God's presence of light. Paul and Silas are in prison. And the reason they're in prison is they cast a demon out of a young girl. And, and that's a problem for her owners because she's not worth as much as she was before. That dark gift had actually provided money to these people. And so now they throw Paul and Silas in prison and, and God's going to break in to save the day for them. Listen to this. This is Acts 16, verse 25 and following. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake 
At the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. It's an interesting scene, right? This jailer's not doing his task, and he knows his life's going to be taken, and so why not take him before anyone else gets a chance to do so? But I want you to notice what happens after this scene in verse 28 and following. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights. I love that phrase there. That word for called can mean several different things. It can mean the jailer called for the lights. It can mean the jailer asked for the lights. I like these better. The jailer begged for the lights or even the jailer craved the lights. I think about the different places that we're in in our world and I wonder how many of us crave for the light as much as the jailer does. It's it's a changing moment in the story where his life is changed in this moment. Let's read the rest of this just real quick. The, The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole household. You just love that story. Like light breaks into this guy's life. And it's not just a light of lights going on in this jail that he calls for. It's like light shows up into his dark life and his whole household is transformed. And I wonder if this is like one of those moments where in our culture, we need to call for the lights again, right? And I have this moment where darkness is there. And and I got to tell you, light is a really good thing if you're innocent. Light is a really good thing if you're trying to find the path. But light is a scary thing if you're involved in deeds of darkness, isn't it? In fact, we're seeing this around our country right now. We're seeing things exposed. And that's a fearful thing for many who have been protected, whose deeds have gone unnoticed. But, but when God comes into the world, when light is exposed, all of a sudden, uh, darkness is, is on the run. Darkness is afraid. And those in the light are grateful to be able to see the path that's set before them. The jailer called for the light. Our God is the God who moves. And when he moves, light enters into the world. He speaks light into existence. Our God is the God who, when he speaks, darkness has to flee. Our God is the God who makes covenants by walking torches through animals when he doesn't force us to do the same. Our God is the God who's described in 1 John 1, 5 as the God who is light. And in him, there is no darkness. Our God is the God who calls each of us to reflect this light as well. And I love the way scripture ends in Revelation 21 as we wrap up our time in the word this morning. At the end of scripture, it's like it goes back to where the beginning was. In the beginning, God speaks light into existence. And in the end, for those of us who are people of the light, there's good news that's ahead. This is what it says in Revelation 21 about the days that are to come. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 22. This is just such a great promise for those of us who desire light. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Oh, on, on no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. 
One day there will be no more need for the sun to shine. There will be no more need for light to come down or candles to be lit. One day the sun, the Lamb of God, will be the one who lights up the world and there will no longer be day or night because it will all be light. Revelation 22, verse 5, similar words. There will be no more night. There will not be need the lamp, light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Our world experiences darkness all the time. And like we've seen in the story of Israel, darkness is homeostasis. Darkness is the natural starting point. And when we revert to deeds of darkness, things turn dark in the world again. But our God is the God who continually shows up. And when he shows up, light shows up on the scene. And light can transform and it can reveal and it can expose. And so when we are called into the light, when we confess our sins, First John tells us that we come into the light. And there's no need for fear of what will be shown when we admit ourselves to God what is true about our lives. And so I want to challenge you this week and in this season as we look toward Christmas, as we look toward the light coming into the world, let us be people who lean into the light. Let us be people who confess what the deeds of darkness are so that we can receive forgiveness and have no fear about the light of God that we will one day enter into 24-7 all day, every day. I want to pray for us as we close our time this morning. And next week, I'm excited to share more about how I think we as uh, people of light are called to be that light, to shine that light to others. But the starting point is always God, isn't it? It's a God who continually moves in our lives to shine light into dark places. And may he continue to do that in this week to come. Let's pray as we close this morning. Father, we know that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we know that the, the natural state of our lives that we revert back to when we are not connected to you and to your spirit is back to deeds of darkness. It is such a call back to us that sometimes we are involved in a conspiracy not to shine our lights, but to be caught up in the darkness of this world. So God, I pray right now that we can be a people of the light who reveal our secrets because we know that as much as our secrets are, that's how sick we are. But we know that in your light, God, there is healing, there is forgiveness, and the fear that Satan leads us to believe that if we are honest about our lives, it will be rejected. It's a lie from the, from the devil, God. When we reveal ourselves and are vulnerable and honest and open, we receive. That's where healing comes from, is when we share with a brother or sister the reality of our lives. And so, God, help us to be people of light. Help us to shine a light on the paths that are before us. Help us not to conspire with the darkness, but to be people who illuminate this world with the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the season, what it reminds us of. And we ask that you would allow us to leave these doors to be light to those we encounter today. It's in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.